Hello and welcome to Seabird. I'm John Herlig. What a start for Seabird. We were so excited to bring you Randall Williams' story, and you folks responded in a big, big way. The show has reached 26 countries around the world. Just phenomenal. So thanks for the love, and stick with us. There is a lot of exciting stuff coming up in Season 1. Seabird is sponsored by The Boat Galley and TheBoatGalley.com. If you are dreaming about learning how to live on a boat, or if you have a boat and you're dreaming about untying the dock lines and drifting away, TheBoatGalley.com is the place to start your journey. Boat better with TheBoatGalley.com. Our guest this week is Kai Ferno. Kai is a stunt woman and a survivalist. She's also the author of the book The Superwoman's Survival Guide. Kai has been voted the best female stunt performer in the world, winning what is basically the Oscar of the stunt performer industry, and has appeared in over 50 films doubling for actors like Jennifer Garner, Anne Hathaway, and Sharon Stone, among others. But a lot like Randall Williams, Kai is so much more than the sum total of her stories. She recently spoke with Seabird's Mike McDowell, who calls Kai just about the baddest badass you may ever meet. So, cue the band. Let's do this. This is Seabird. Stories from remarkable people. doing the Amazon Naked and Afraid alone, I just started fantasizing about spending time in a rooftop tent. So it was one of the first things I bought when I got back out of the Amazon because I didn't mind being alone and I just wanted to do it in luxury, what I thought was luxury. So I bought the rooftop tent then, but it's been basically home base for the last over a year now. Are you speaking to me from a rooftop tent Right now. <laughs> no. No, this is mum and dad's house. So um, we've got some work on down here for the for the school holidays, teaching some bushcraft skills. And um, and so it's at mum and dad's is easier to be in than the rooftop tent for a second. Right. So your mum and dad live close to Melbourne. Yeah. But you're not you're from Adelaide, right? Initially from Adelaide, and then I moved to Vancouver, and then I moved to Los Angeles, and then New York, and then sort of came back when I did a major injury. And as I recovered from that, I just took off on my motorbike. So I lived on the back of my motorbike for about a year and a half, and then upgraded to the rooftop tent. So I don't really have a home base. It's just basically where the adventures or the work take me at the moment. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah, you are an unusual person, but I mean that in a really good way. I don't mean mean to insult you at all. So you choose to live in a tent? Yes, I choose to. I love the freedom of it. I mean, did you grow up? Where were you at school, for example? Where were you at primary school and junior school? In a city in Adelaide? No. So I grew up in the outback of SA. So the mid-north of South Australia, a tiny little country town. My parents were the principal and vice principal of a tiny school there. There was about 20 people. So I really grew up in that red earth outback of Australia for the beginning of my childhood. And then 
we moved further south, but it was still country town and, and headed out into that. And then um, really only hit the city for the last few years of my schooling because I wasn't doing too well in school and mum and dad felt like I needed a bit more structure. You just needed discipline or, or were you having do you have problems with schoolwork and stuff? Or? I think it was just one of those kids that the school system didn't work for. You know, like it's a very structured setting and there's an, an idea of what intelligence is and it's based on numbers and grades and being able to do a certain style of learning. And I was definitely one of those kids that learnt by doing and I needed to know why I was learning what I was learning. So if you tried to teach me maths where you're putting the x and y's instead of numbers and things I was like I'm never going to use this so the first mistake really was just my sister was brilliant she was an amazing scholar so she was top of her class in in maths and physics and chemistry and they sort of applied those same boxes to me and I needed the biologies and geologies and you know history lessons where I could just see where everything fitted in so the the school system as it was didn't didn't work for me and I felt like I was just stupid so I think you know I was I was definitely a CB student rather than a, a an A student but it just I yeah it just took me a while to realize that just because you're not book smart doesn't mean that you're not smart <laughs> also being female people tend to put the practical skill set into the male dominated world you know so if you're really good with your hands and really good at problem solving and really quick at you know construction and engineering and things like that it just wasn't considered things that women were meant to be good at back then either now look at you because you, the school maybe wrote you off a little bit but now you are an award-winning stunt woman in some of the biggest movies in the world so you, you <laughs> and you're on tv and there's no question about it you're a really you lead a really unconventional yeah. life but you are an incredibly high achiever right so i like to tell people i got an award you know like students hand out awards at the end of the year and they can be quite cruel but i I didn't really let it bother me but I got an award for the person most likely to do nothing with their life. They were absolutely wrong. <laughs> so in that red dirt of South Australia was it like horse riding, quad bikes, motorbikes, all that kind of stuff? Yeah yeah and just exploring you know I mean for me my biggest passion is the natural world. There's nowhere I feel like I light up more on the inside than being sort of barefoot out in the middle of nowhere and I'm I'm very happy on my own and I feel like that was because you know I was the only kid my age in my grade and so you know some sometimes you just don't have anyone to play with and I would just go off with a bit of a stick and be poking things and sticking it down holes and you know I would make my own adventures and make my own time so I never feel lonely when I'm alone and I and I never feel scared when there's wide open spaces and it's really just the being anywhere outside in nature with as far from civilization as possible is definitely where my soul comes alive. Mm. I wonder, was there a moment in your life when you realized that actually you're tougher than everyone else? Yes and no. Like I just did a Naked and Afraid Alone in the Amazon, as I said, and 21 days, it was the most brutal thing I've ever done. Um, they put me in a location. It was the 
end of um, wet season, so everything was soaked. It, it was cold. It rained every day. They There was no food in that location because in the wet season, everything disperses because they don't have to concentrate at certain pools or at certain eating areas. There's food everywhere. There's water everywhere. The second a human moves in, everything moves out. So I really struggled getting food and basically had maybe a, a handful of firefly larvae and a few mushrooms and two tiny fish in 21 days, like really hadn't eaten anything. And you're alone 16 hours of the day. You have a camera crew there for eight, um, but alone in the Amazon and everything moves and crawls and bites you. And yet I felt so at peace and I set traps and I made the best shelter and I got fire every night Um and all of those things are such huge achievements. And every day I just made my situation better than it was before. And I only just got out of that a year ago. And I didn't cry and I didn't scream. I was so proud of how I'd handled myself. And I got out and I realized that it was the absolute first time in my life I've ever felt like I'm good at something. Like I, I'm crying when I'm talking about it because, you know, I won an award for being the best female stunt performer in the world and I achieved so much in my life. But it was, took that moment to realise that I actually, you know, was was enough. It was very emotional. It's only now. Only now. <laughs> After all that you've done. I mean, I can, I'm not going to sit here and list all of the films that you've been in, but... I am pretty sure that everybody listening to this podcast, whether they realise it or not, have seen you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Naked and Afraid a little bit later on, because I cannot, I just cannot imagine being dropped in the Amazon rainforest with no clothes on, with a camera on me, the waivers you must sign and the reassurances you must give your family before you leave. But you said your parents ran a school. That's very different from being stunt performers, right? I'm definitely the black sheep in this family. My sister went into business and uh, my mum and dad, you know, their idea of an extreme outdoor experience was going camping in the caravan park, you know, we <laughs> and a few bushwalks. So I, uh, I sort of shot off to the side at some stage. But the things that I carried from my family is, you know, they were very – very positive thinkers and very new agey, you know, like I was always brought up to believe I could do anything I dreamed I could. And dad says he regrets that now. <laughs> he, he's like, he wished that my motivational things on the wall were like, stay at home and raise a family somewhere near your mum and dad. Is that because they want grandchildren or is that because they see you on Naked and Afraid and think, oh no, she's going to be eaten? Well, they just know that I'm never going to say no to a challenge. So they just dread the next time my phone's going to ring what someone's going to ask. And it was very hard for them. I never told them the big stunts before I was going to do them. I always sort of afterwards, I was like, hey, I jumped off a building today, but all's fine. <laughs> and then they do know the survival challenges before I'm going into them. So they don't sleep for 21 days while I'm out there, which is unfortunate for them. I feel for them now. Mum just has to keep reassuring herself because she knows that for someone who seems like a massive risk taker, I'm actually really conscious of the risks involved and don't take unnecessary risks. So yeah, she knows yeah. that I prepare really well, both mentally and physically, for all the challenges I go into, and including stunts. And then she just has to sit back and trust the universe. And, and, I, and she knows that if I went while I was out there, I would 
I would be doing something that I loved and that would be the best thing for me in the end. So, you know, they were a bit shocked at the path that I took, but um, they were and they weren't, you know, because I was really stubborn as a kid. If someone told me no, I'd just be like, I'll show you and like stick my little jaw out and, you know, and, and just try and prove people wrong when they said no to me as young as, you know, learning to walk. And a doctor at 19 told me I'd never be physically active again. So mum and dad just saw this little chin come out and we were like, I'll show you. (laughs) I'll show you how active I can be. I'm just going to put on the brakes there for a moment. What happened when you were 19? I had a car accident and broke a bone in my back. So that was sort of the big pivotal moment, really. Okay. Mm. Uh, What, what, you flipped the car or somebody crashed into you? A guy was driving and he was speeding and he spun out and we went into a concrete pole at about 60k an hour so it was a fair collision we were very lucky that um the engine had runners and went underneath the car rather than coming in on us otherwise we both would have been dead but yeah i just cracked in a bone in my lumbar spine so it was the best place to break your back but at that stage with what doctors knew it was like a lifetime sentence of no physical activity from then on How did you overcome that? Just mentally, you know, and just listening to myself. I feel like quite often people put these limitations on us and they say, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And they don't know you and they don't know what you're capable of and they don't know what your body's capable of. So I just researched everything I could about, you know, how to heal bones. And and then I listened to my body. I learned the difference between good pain and bad pain and the good pain I pushed through, the bad pain I stopped. And they were wrong back then, like nowadays. And when a person has that injury, they get them moving as soon as possible. And they, you know, and it isn't something that impairs people for the rest of their life. But back then, that's what they would say. And then people would listen and then their backs would become weak and it would be this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. What were your ambitions when you, when you were a little girl? What did, did you want to be an actress, or, you know, a ballerina or, or a racing driver or an astronaut or a scientist? Or um, I sort of went between vet and marine biologist a fair bit. And then... When I finished school, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. Again, mum just sort of stepped in and she enrolled me in a Bachelor of Business Management. And I'm truly grateful. You know, when people ask me how to become a stunt performer or something, I'm always like, get an education first, even if you never use it. You know, I finished school and then I got a Bachelor of Business Management majoring in tourism. I never used it. Mum and dad always laugh. They see my stunts and they're like, that's where a private school education gets you, you know, falling down a flight of stairs or something. But Was Andromeda the first TV show that you did stunt work in? Um, I did it on a little TV show called Dead Like Me. That was my first stunt. And then Andromeda was second. Okay. So it was an outdoor guide after I did the Bachelor of Business Management. I just went into the outdoors. I healed myself for rock climbing. So rock climbing helped me get where I needed to go physically. And then I taught kids kayaking and sailing and mountain biking and mountaineering and all those things. And then I just got a bit bored at one stage and I wanted to do something that was physically different every day and someone suggested stunts. Yeah, but who? Who suggested stunts? It was a kid on a school camp and we were playing this game where I had like some kids at the top and some kids at the bottom and you had to try and race your way up this sand dune and people were tackling and tumbling and somersaulting and one of the kids just was like looked at me and he's like you should be a stunt woman and I wish I remembered who it was like I wish I could go back to that moment and remember his name 
and just like look him up somehow and be like, you can't underestimate what one sentence to somebody, like how it can change their lives sometimes, you know. It, it just takes one word, one sentence, one moment. I didn't even understand what a stunt performer was. I just thought, well, it would be physical. I could maybe do some rock climbing on TV and I've never rock climbed on TV in 16 years of stunts. But <laughs> it sounded interesting. I mentioned uh, Avengers Assemble earlier on. Is that is that the biggest movie you've done? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, it was the biggest action movie ever made. Before that, it was Thor. Like Thor sort of broke the barriers for women in stunt performing as far as bringing in those beautiful Black Widow, Wonder Woman, like sort of paved the way for these amazing kick-ass female heroes too. Yeah. And have you ever been hurt? Oh, all the time. Like if you walk away from a stunt day without a bruise, it's a miracle. Like it rarely happens. There is no magical ingredient for getting thrown across a room and smashing into a concrete wall. Like it is a concrete wall. You try and put as many pads on as you can and then you try and break your fall in a few different ways. But at the end of the day, you're still hitting a concrete wall. And especially, I mean, you see the Electra outfit. There's not a lot of room for pads. In Catwoman, I doubled Sharon Stone and I'm wearing a, a cream outfit that's backless. And I have to do a stunt where I get um, pulled on a wire about 10 metres back and I smash into a picture frame, which is full glass. Like it's not candy glass, it's proper glass. And that shatters and then I smash down onto the ground, which is concrete, and I try and, like, keep my eyes shut so none of the glass gets in your eyes. I've broken bones and smashed my shoulder. And my last injury was actually on blind spot where I tore my hamstring completely off and I have some screws holding it into my butt bone now. So you just try and stay healthy and minimize the risks. But that's why there's stunt performers. You know, we have a wig on and we are the height that we are so that you can just switch someone else in, you know, like it's, it's like, oh, you, you're injured, right? Where's that wig? And they rip the wig off even as they're taking you out the door to hospital to make sure they can put it on another five foot eight girl as you walk in the door. And, you know, it's not a sob story. It's why you, I mean, it's part of the reason why you do it is to challenge yourself in that way. Have you ever been in a situation, a circumstance in which you've said, nope, I am not doing that. Unfortunately not. <laughs> Once I've committed to doing a job, I'm not going to be that person that gets to set and says no. I've said no prior, but it's more skill-based. Like if someone says, can you snowboard a half pipe? I'm just going to say, no, I'm not that good a snowboarder, so you'll need to get someone else. I've never been a gymnast. So if anyone wants a round off back handspring on set, that's not me, but I've said no up front. As soon as I've committed to jumping off a building, I will jump off that building. Jeez. You just you just take a breath and trust the universe and trust your preparation and trust the people around you and just commit to it because if you launch in with hesitation, then that's the moment that you're probably going to get hurt. What's the most dangerous stuff in stunt work? Is it? I'm guessing it's fire. I mean, you're always going to get burnt with fire, whether it's a big or small burn, that's for sure. But everything's dangerous. You know, like I know this beautiful stunt performer who 
her job was just to sort of step out of the way as a speeding car was coming along and she just stepped and tripped like and hit the curb accidentally and cracked the back of her head on the curb and sometimes it's the smallest days that you can get the worst injuries on there's always a risk otherwise the actors and background performers would be doing it yeah yeah sure i'm a little bit nerdy so i do for example, I will watch the DVD extras. DVDs don't really exist so much anymore. You know, everybody's watching Netflix. But I will watch the DVD extras, and I'll see how Tom Cruise did the, you know, the jump off the top of the tower block in Shanghai, because it just looks like one single tracking shot. Yeah. And, of course, Tom Cruise, like yourself, is a bit of a badass and actually just did jump off a really... <laughs> <laughs> did jump off a really high building. And some of these things are huge. The setups are enormous. Mm. And there's like 100 or 200 people involved, and it's absolutely crazy. What's the, what is the biggest stunt that you've ever been the centre of? I did big scenes in X-Men 3 when the mutants are storming Alcatraz. You know, I'm one of the mutants jumping into Alcatraz, but I'm also one of the soldiers that run to fight the mutants that are in Alcatraz. And then I'm another mutant, completely different mutant fighting like Wolverine over here. And then I'm another mutant over here. And then I'm a different soldier that comes in when Storm goes. <laughs> it's just like, I just, I'm all over. You're everybody. I'm everybody. <laughs> but I think the most important ones for me would have been the ones on Thor in that last scene when I'm fighting the Destroyer, because that was such a big, important sequence for both the director, Kenneth Branagh, who was just one of the most loveliest human beings you could ever meet, and his second unit director was an Armstrong. I can't even remember his name at the moment, but he doubled Indiana Jones. So he was my idol growing up, you know, because Indiana Jones was my idol. So I had to jump off a building, and I had a wire on, because I had to land on a small square patch, which was a green screen mechanism to pretend to be the destroyer. So as I leapt off the building, I had to leap one way. I had to defy gravity and turn my body around in midair, swap hands with the spear as I was coming down and land on like a three foot by three foot mechanical robot that then just went ka as I landed on it. And... Um, I had to leap further out than it was down. And then I had a headwind. So I do remember like leaping out on the day going, oh, like just giving it everything I've got. And I nailed it in one. And then the stunt coordinator, second unit director comes out, Indiana Jones basically gives me the thumbs up. And I'm just like, good day. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Is it Vic Armstrong you're talking about? Vic, sorry. Yeah, it's Vic. Oh, wow. So Vic Armstrong is actually the guy who does all of the stunts for well he co he used to do them but now he's a bit older and now he's the coordinator and second unit director for the bond movies right he's enormous in british movies yeah um, absolutely huge and his brother andy armstrong was the stunt coordinator for thor and then vic was second oh. unit director so it was a big family affair all, all you english were over there working on it and it was beautiful it's like just like a great it, it was family but it was like a great big family for even me so that's so nice that's really good and then i won the tourist stunt award for that and it was so wonderful to be able to thank andy for the opportunity and vic for just being so supportive with it all in avengers assemble you double kobe smulders yeah. i think who's agent hill yeah. and i wondered i mean because there's so much 
action in a film like that and so much CGI. <laughs> I almost feel like you must have been I on mean, screen as much as she was or even more. <laughs> yeah, with Kobe, I only did the first one of hers, but she just went on to such great things with that character. You're living in a tent, as you mentioned earlier on. Do you own a house anywhere? No, I uh, I. I don't actually like I owned one in Los Angeles for a while and then sold that and um, I haven't found a place that I would call home just yet you know I've never got to a, a spot and thought this is it I'm waiting because I'm getting on uh, so I feel like I should be looking for a place but like adventures just keep taking me from one direction to another like before COVID I was spending a lot of time in the US again. I was in Atlanta, I was in LA. I did the Amazon and I was in China for another show. And um, I just feel like a, a home would be wasted on me. Seabird will continue after this short break. Whether it's learning the right way to tie off to a mooring ball or mastering how to eat well, even though you have a just stupidly, ridiculously tiny refrigerator on your boat, theboatgalley.com is where you need to go to learn how to make life on a boat better, easier, more successful, and more comfortable. It makes no difference if you've lived aboard for 10 years or if boating is just a dream for you. Carolyn at The Boat Galley has answers to everything you need to know to learn how to live on a boat or to simply learn how to boat better. What you need to do is this. You need to sign up for her newsletter. I have been on that list since 2013. Go to theboatgalley.com, G-A-L-L-E-Y, theboatgalley.com. Click on subscribe to the newsletter and toss your email address in there. It is free. It is informative, and Carolyn is not going to spam you and is not going to sell your email address. You will be on your way. Every journey has a first step. Take your first step at theboatgalley.com. You're listening to Seabird. I'm Mike McDowell. I'm talking to stunt woman Kai Ferno about her remarkable life. You know, Kai, usually stunt performers one of the key things about stunt performers is they essentially remain unknown. They're kind of anonymous people who double for the the, the, the famous faces. But you've got a, a pretty high profile now, and I guess it's because of your other work. And I wondered, how did all that happen? How did you end up naked and afraid? <laughs> um, well, I put a time limit on my stunt career. I started pretty late. I was 26, 27. And um, I really didn't start working full time probably until 29.30. So I looked around and all the people that are around 40, all the women had fused vertebrae in their neck and were quite a mess just because we have very small necks. So like we get a lot of whiplash and a lot of concussions. And so I put a limit on my career at 40 years of age. I, I felt like I wanted to achieve everything I wanted to achieve and get out of the industry by the time I was 40. And then at 42, I was doing the best stunts I've ever done in my life on Blind Spot. But <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> 
but I started to look at what I would like to do moving on. And I felt like there was this um, deficit of strong female role models on television in the reality world. You know, if you look around my nieces and and little cousins and everything, their role models were becoming the Kardashians. So I decided that perhaps there was a space on TV for a female Bear Grylls or a female Steve Irwin or someone who was passionate about the outdoors, who was bold, adventurous and strong, um, yet feminine, you know. So that was sort of the boxes I felt like I ticked and I decided to start to try and become a TV host. Um, and I headed off across the Sierra Nevadas, which is like a mountain range in California, with just a pocket knife. So I wanted to do 100 miles and I did it in 10 days, just living off the land, carrying a pocket knife, but I documented it. Like I filmed the whole thing. I went with another survival expert and we both just you know, we both just roughed it on the land and I got a bit of press from that and I put out like a few clips of the achievement. So I was in, um, so people knew of me in the survival space from just that. And then I was sitting in Byron Bay on a holiday with my parents and I get this phone call from a production company that I'd been speaking with and they said, look, you know, we've got this great idea for a TV show. Um, stay with us. Um, it's called Naked and Afraid. And I, so I was like, no, thank you, and hung up. <laughs> I was just like, that's not my cup of tea. And then they called me back the next day and they had more executives and they were like, look, it's going to be the biggest survival challenge ever done on television. It's 100% real, 21 days with absolutely nothing. You'll go in with a partner and you each get to bring one item of choice and you'll have to survive for the 21 days with just that. And I realized that it was the ultimate challenge and it was the ultimate challenge with a bit of a safety net, you know, like there was a button essentially that you can kind of press if you decide to quit and you do have the safety backup of a medic team if they can get to you fast enough. So I accepted that challenge after being advised that we would be pixelated both top and bottom but then they got special permission to unpixelate butt crack before it came out. So I was very, my my mum cried a bit about that, but it was a bit shocking. <laughs> like, I'm not a nudist and I definitely, like, I, I was horrified. <laughs> but such is life now. Really, you were horrified? <laughs> <laughs> you decided to do a television show called Naked and Afraid and then you were horrified that people could see your bum. <laughs> Hey, when I signed the contract, it said that my bum would be pixelated. <laughs> I'll confess, I haven't seen the show. I live in, in Mallorca, which is, as for people who don't know, is a an island that belongs to Spain, and it is kind of halfway between Barcelona and Algiers in the Mediterranean, and we don't have that TV show here. So you are actually stark naked. Yeah. And presumably, you make, you make yourself some clothes. Well, to be honest... When you're dying, clothing's not a priority. So you have to remember that you are seriously put in a survival situation and your first four needs are food, fire, water and shelter. So the last thing you're thinking about is, do I need something comfortable for my bottom or anything? You know, like, oh, my gosh, these camera crew can see my boobs. You're like, there's an alligator over there and it seems really hungry and that's my priority is to get away from the alligator. So... All I'll say is most critics of the show are people who've never watched it. 
And I get the name is very sensational, but at the end of the day, what you're seeing is is humans that are achieving far more than they ever believed that they were capable of. And I mean, it's Discovery's biggest hit show and it's the biggest survival show on television. They've filmed over 150 episodes now. I'm proud to have been in the first six. I'm proud to have been the 100th, which was me and four other people with sharks. And I'm proud to have been the only female to make it through the 21 days alone um, as well. So, you know, I'm proud of my involvement, but... For sure, when I first heard the name, I was like, no, not a chance. I mean, it, it sounds amazing, and I am going to seek it out. I mean, you're eating only what you can forage. I mean, some people are very lucky in the locations that they get put. Like, I've seen people with big bunches of bananas, and I was just like, I hate you. Um, me, personally, I the three locations that I've been put are three of the probably worst locations that that you can get put. Uh, Louisiana Swamplands was my first one. And we ate some crawfish and we ended up killing a rodent, which is like a mix between a rat and a beaver, and that was delicious. We had some frogs, but there was definitely no bananas or coconuts there. And in the Bahamas, all the food was in the water, which was why we had to go in and deal with all the sharks all the time. And then, as I said, the Amazon, it was firefly larvae all the way. And I mean, you, you're pretty confident, though, right? For a start, you're obviously body confident because you're standing there naked, but you're confident that you could survive anywhere. Well, it's interesting, that fact, because I actually one of the reasons I did the show was because I didn't enjoy being naked. And I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. I've got to get over that. So how best to get over it than spend 21 days? Naked on telly in front of millions of people. Yeah, billions now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I was confident in my survival skills. To do the Amazon alone, I really needed to trust that I had what it takes for sure. Like I never want to be a person who quits but then I'm not going to take a challenge on that is impossible. Challenging is one thing, impossible is just ridiculous. But saying that, the Amazon was almost impossible. Like it, it, I had to go to such a place in my head to achieve it that, you know, I don't know if anything pushes you there. I mean, I know, obviously, you are a, you're a, I'm not sure what the word is, but you're a, you're a bushcraft expert, you're a survivalist, you're, you're, yeah. you, you have all of these, you have a lot of incredible skills. But in somewhere like the Amazon, I'm guessing that there are things like electric eels and piranhas that are going to bite your bum and, and yeah. just specialist things, you know, that maybe you have not had experience of before in the Louisiana swamps or in the Australian, uh, South Australian outback or, or wherever or the Bahamas underwater. So do you get any kind of special training? Does somebody explain to you, look, the toothpick fish is going to swim up your stream of urine and lodge itself inside your body? Yeah, the, yes. Um you do. You have an hour with a survival expert before you go into the location. Fortunately for me, the Amazon, I'd been there three times in my life before and had done really deep jungle expeditions. So I already went in with a good base of knowledge. The expert for Louisiana was knew less than me. Like he was potentially meant to be an alligator wrangler and his idea of wrangling alligators was standing there with a chicken breast and a broomstick while I'm waist deep in the water with alligators you know and it's just like 
yeah, that that's going to get me before that chicken breast hits the water. <laughs> you know. So, but the thing for me is I've spent a lot of time learning theories of survival. So I might not know the, the name of the wood that I'm looking for, but I know what will make a really good friction fire by looking for you know, like a harder outer core, but a pithy inside, quite a light wood, you know. Then, you know, with foods and stuff, like there's all these tests you do, like you put a bit on the inside here and if it doesn't rash up, then you, you know, try a bit in here, take a little bite, see what it does, you know, over a process of a few days. Or if you're with someone else, you give a piece to them and then you don't eat it. <laughs> you see if they're walking the next day. <laughs> so, But shh, don't tell anyone that's my technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remind me never to go camping with you. <laughs> I wondered, this is something I should have asked you earlier on when we were chatting about stunts, but um, so I'm going to change the subject a bit. Mm-hmm. Why is there no Oscar for stunt work? Why, why is that? I mean, there's an Oscar for special effects, right? Mm, so it just goes back to the days where they like to pretend we didn't exist. So there was a mythology in the film community that they wanted to believe that the actor was the character. They wanted you to believe that Butch Cassidy was falling off the train. So they felt like knowing that a stunt performer was stepping in was taking away from this godlike mythology that actors were building. Taking nothing away from Tom Cruise, he does a lot of his own stunts, but he has three stunt doubles that prepare and work through that stunt until it's so safe you could put a kitten on the other end of it and it does it and you're like oh the kitten's all fine but Tom Cruise does have this persona that he is the dude from Mission Impossible you know and they felt like it weakened their persona by having someone else step in and do it and and it doesn't you know like you look at Jason Statham and he's brilliant he's an amazing martial artist and he's the first person to step up and congratulate his stunt double you know and say look I couldn't do this like I can do some of it but this is the dude that makes me look cool I mean every female I've ever doubled says they do all their own stunts (laughs) you know like you just go okay well that seems that seems really unfair I have to be honest, I think that's terribly unfair. I think that's rotten. I think something should be done about that right away. Well, I I believe it was, uh, like, not The Rock, but somebody like The Rock that started the Taurus Stunt Awards for us because he felt it was really unfair too that we didn't get acknowledged. So not all of them feel that way, but I don't think you go into stunts for the acknowledgement. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you definitely don't. Yeah. So I there's a, almost a pride in doing it and putting your life on the line and your body on the line and watching the movie and knowing that you made that character look so amazing but no one else knows. You know, there's a bit of pride behind that as well. So how how do you keep in shape? Um, Yoga is always high up there because I always say if you bend, you're not going to break. So um, depending on what movie I was doing, I was always fighting. Like that sort of was my thing. So I was either on the movie and doing the fight sequences or training for upcoming movies. Like when I heard Electra was coming to town, I knew that I'd have to use those Psy, that three-pronged weapon. So I just did a lot of training with that. Yeah. Um, I don't fight that much anymore. I mean, a little bit of sparring and boxing. I'd love to get back into it. That's sort of one of my goals. But 
haven't had the time. I've just been, I mean, let me tell you, mustering sheep on a motorbike, that, that keeps you in shape. <laughs> just, Are you still doing that? Oh, just recently, yeah, yeah, been out doing that. And then our local farmers have been struggling getting people to pick the fruit off the vines. So I just did a month grape picking and that was a killer. Have you stopped actually doing the stunts now? Was Blind Spot your last gig? Well, my hamstring tore completely off on one of the last episodes of that. And I don't think I really realized what that meant. You know, the doctor saw it start to come off and, and he was like, well, are you in pain? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. He said, can you keep doing the stunts? I was like, absolutely. And he's like, off you go then, you know, as long as you can keep doing them. And so I, I just, I fought my hamstring off over the period of about four months um just bit by bit you know and I'd go to the doctor and he's like well you can't make it worse and then next week he'd be like well you've made it worse <laughs> and um, I ended up in a wheelchair for about three months when that finally fell off and you know like having to be dressed by my mum again you know like couldn't couldn't bend down and it was a big injury to recover from but it turns out it really it was just the operation itself hadn't gone well. So I recovered from that and then they had to go into my hip and I had to get an operation on that. And then finally, um, a year ago, I had another operation where they cut the hamstring entirely off and screwed it back on again. Oh, but I don't even like thinking about any of this <laughs> at all. It's really... Ugh. You know, but I, I recovered well from that one and where the wheelchair for three months, I was walking again after a week with this new operation. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to retire at 40. My hamstring fell off at 43, but I do want to do another stunt, you know. Like I feel like I want to quit. I don't want to have it taken from me. I'm definitely in good enough shape to be doing stunts but i've just been busy doing the survival stuff recently so you will do some more stunts or you will do one last job just like in the movies yeah i will do at least one last job i just yeah and i would love for it to be a fighting one because i know i'm fit and strong enough and just to show that at 26 i was told i was too old to do stunts and just to show that at 47 i could still do stunts i would definitely definitely do them so what is next for you then i mean i've got a ton of stuff on right now i'm um so i've written a book which came out i don't know like many years ago called girls own survival guide and i've just got the follow-up book so the first book was about using survival attitudes to get you through everyday life so i'll send you a copy for your daughter and then this one's about using stunt attitudes to get you through everyday life i have a TV show in development with ABC Kids, which is looking at safety slash survival. And my TV show that I shot with my partner during lockdown, Outback Lockdowns, airing in 20 countries across Asia at the moment. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Asia doesn't include me, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't really hit Europe, but it went like this little show that we shot um, with a production company from Australia went global, like uh, South America's had it, North America's had it, uh, and then you've got Asia. It went around Australia a couple of times. So um, 
yeah, outback lockdown. It was just about us living off grid and off the land while when COVID hit on my cousin's sheep station. Okay. So lots of stuff on the go. You're a really busy person. I know. You just picked a perfect time to ask for the podcast too, because this is the only two weeks I've sat still in the whole year. Ah, well, that's amazing. Kai Ferno, it's been absolutely great to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. And my daughters will love it. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Tell them that the rooftop tent is the bomb and they really need to get one. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to pay for it, but yes, okay. <laughs> Seabird is made by Boat Radio. It is written and produced by John Herlig and Mike McDowell. Thank you to DM Perfection for our theme song, Welcome to Neverland. And thank you also to Megan Agresto for her perfect voiceover work. We are very grateful. For everyone here at Seabird, I am Christopher Pruitt saying... Thanks for listening. Hi, John again. Don't hit stop yet. I have just a couple more things to share with you. First, be sure to join us next week when I speak with Megan Agresto, the lighthouse keeper of the beautiful Currituck Beach Lighthouse in Corolla, North Carolina. Megan just blew my mind with her stories of tragedies and infighting in the 1800s world of lighthouses. She talks about just how she came to work in a lighthouse in an oddly roundabout way. Megan lives in a tiny town, keeps that light shining. She started a one-room schoolhouse and has raised two sons and a bunch of chickens. And her excitement for all things is simply contagious. I hope you join us. Our website is boatradio.co. Boatradio.co. And on that website, you can see some of the projects we have happening, and you can also see the faces of the upcoming guests on Seabird. While you're there, if you like, you can send us an email or even a voicemail. We do love hearing from our listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode, the very best thing you can do to help us is to share it with a friend. Just telling one friend will really help keep Seabird thriving. And a special thank you to our sponsor, TheBoatGalley.com. If you're on the outside of the boating world looking in and you want to make that leap, start your journey at TheBoatGalley.com.
Time to be true to yourself. 